right. So, who here uh, likes candy or mints in some way? Oh, there's there's a few. There's some hands. Now, um, I have some, but that has to be somebody that's, you know, I, I don't know if, you, if you've been nice to me or said something nice. Uh, Bobby, I believe you have. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, you, you guys both did. It was just uh, like a, a last time I saw you. Yeah, yeah. A geek, definitely. Uh, yeah, for you. Uh, who's your favorite football team? I don't like football. Oh, no. <laughs> you had your chance. Uh, uh, how about for you? So, there you go. So, uh, all right. Oh, and you, you especially have been always so. I really appreciate that. Oh, uh, you too. Hey, Ron, you get you, you get another one. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Some of you, you know, who else has been? Who else has been? I'd like to give you one, but I'm not sure your mom would appreciate it because you've you've been nice to me. All right? Yeah, you, right there. Um, let's see, somebody else, Butch, 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 yes, 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 how about you, there you go, there you go, uh, yeah, I think, I think you, you, you can get one, and your favorite football team? You don't like football, oh, okay, well, <laughs> the, Franklin Knights. the Franklin Knights, oh, well, yeah, you kind of have a prejudice there, don't you? I think. Uh, obviously, you have a football team. I like that, but sorry, you're not getting one. I, I mean, <laughs> technically, I have enough of these to give everybody one, <laughs> but that ain't happening. <laughs> no, sir. There's some of you that just don't, are not good enough to get one. Should don't deserve one of these, uh, any shape or form. Somebody like, hey, I... I, I wasn't mean to the pastor. I was nice. Hey, I like the Steelers football. Yeah, why didn't I get one? It's, that's not fair. That's, it's, that's wrong. You're playing favorites, pastor. You're, you're, you're being partial to certain people and ignoring some of us who are good, decent people. Right? We're good people who, who could use a mint. Um, you know, the reality is this is in some way similar to the example in James chapter 2 here and what's happening. Look at verse 1 through 3 again here. In James chapter 2 verse 1, My brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring or fine clothes and a poor man is in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet... There's the situation. Two visitors come to the church, one with fine clothes and gold rings, which would have been something that signified kind of the upper class, someone in power those days, like some fancy car driving in, but that's the way they would have had it back then. And then there's another one coming in in shabby, filthy, even rags kind of thing. Uh, the rich the person, the high status person, was taken to the VIP best seat in the house, the place of honor, often in synagogues that was over close to the... Uh, close to the, the the scrolls, the biblical scrolls, if you will. I can't really say like when we think about our Bible. It was close to the biblical scrolls. But the poor man was shown the floor. A judgment was made. 
favoritism was shown. One was lifted up, one was put down. In fact, in verse 3, and it says there, you show special attention. It's not just special attention because you're looking on the outside, but this is a special attention that deals with your thinking process. It's an evaluation. Then when it says you show special attention, it's saying that there was a judgment made. Not just you looked and did something, but you made a judgment even before you acted on it. And what is missing, where it is falling short, is in love. A love that he talks about in verse 8. If you keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. We're missing love. Not just love in general, but it is a love that verse 13 talks about. Where mercy triumphs over judgment. We need that love. We need a love where mercy triumphs over judgment. How do we get there? There's two specific things that we need to think about. And first of all, we need to stop the judging that has preference for certain people. We see that in this passage, as we look at the first point in this passage, uh, there's a preference, there's a paying special attention to one person and not to the other, not necessarily with the intent of treating them badly, but it is unfair. It's playing favorites. It's based on a judgment that we make about someone. And by the way, this whole thing is not a hypothetical case that James is trying to bring before them. You know, he's talking to the churches, the brothers and sisters in Christ here. Uh, I know in many English versions, including mine, it says, do not show favoritism, uh, show no partiality. Kind of like, hey, listen, guys, just a word of caution. I want you to kind of watch out for this. No, that's not what he's saying. In the original, what that word structure there is used is saying, stop. Stop showing favoritism. Stop showing partiality. Stop having a preference for certain people over others. Stop it. That's what you're doing now, and I want you to stop it. Because it already was going on. In fact, it was something that goes on even through the 1900s. Not to say that it hasn't continued on to this day, but in a, in a real way through the, quote, pew rental system that took place. You know, that's where they... Uh, the rich had the, 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 the I mean, it wasn't even just pews. There were like boxes uh, that uh, uh, whole thing where you just had kind of a big thing, an area that they had. And it was up near the speaker or near the heat, depending on what part of the uh, country we lived in. And the poor were relegated to being crowded together in the pews in the back. In fact, even some churches, what they did was they built balconies you've probably been in old churches i know we we go to uh on vacation we'll do historical things not just uh sit but historical things go maybe into some of these old 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 churches and historical and see and did you know that many of the churches that built balconies they did it so that they added balconies to their things so that the poor would have a place that they could sit for free which also was convenient because it was out of sight, out of mind, and out of the smell of the more affluent people. And they didn't have to worry about it. Now, it may be that we think, well, you know, that's best seat in the house. That Nowadays, that's not something that we even think about. That's not something we do. It doesn't apply. But what would happen if we came in here and we know it's a holiday weekend, but there's sometimes where it's not. And, uh, and it's happened even. 
uh, as we're trying to keep six feet uh, between uh, family units or those who are in, in contact with one another regularly, uh, if we reach the max number of chairs and people that we could have, and it means that somebody needs to go up to one of our overflow rooms. We have three overflow rooms, so, so we have plenty of room up there, and it's uh, uh, screen and sound and everything that's up there and being with one another. So who is it that would come in that door and you would say, ah, I would give up my seat and go up there. I mean, this person's new and I see who they are and, and they should have a seat here. They shouldn't be having to go up there. I'll, I'll go up there. And who is the person that would walk in and you would think, I shall not be moved. Right? I'm I'm, I'm going to give my seat up for that person. I'm not going upstairs for that person. So we don't show preference. We don't have those kinds of things. You know, are there churches that look differently as someone who walks in if they've come out uh, just driven from a, an expensive car, a nice suit, they've got a, a family of, of a three perfectly dressed and perfectly behaved children versus a single man coming in who's unkept with old clothes on. Do we believe one of those? Not, we say, oh, I don't put anybody down. I, but do we believe that one of those would be a better addition to our church when we don't know anything about them, really, other than maybe a, a two-minute conversation and what we can see with our eyes. But we've made that judgment. We've made that preference. I mean, we see this kind of thing when Christians are celebrating when celebrities come to Christ or a celebrity really needs to come and then somehow with all their power and their famous, they'll, they'll really bring the cause of Christ up. It doesn't always happen that way, does it? In what other ways do we judge by showing preference to some and not to others? We should have a love where mercy triumphs over judgment. And all should feel welcome when they come into a church service. Think about it. What if I said I want us all to line up? Okay, I want you to get up and we're going to line up from the most important to the least important uh, person in the congregation. And we just want to make a line. And I know somebody's going to be like real spiritual. It'll be like... Well, I'm going to take the last one because I know the last will be first. And, you know, you're not really because it's just prideful in the way you're trying to do that. So, but anyway, people will be like, we're not going to do that. That's wrong. You don't align people up important to, to most important, to some, the least important, the, the first and the last. You don't, they, they don't do that. But do we do it in our heads? Which people are more important than others? I'm not putting somebody down, but we're lifting somebody else. We're having a preference. I know churches who show favoritism for those certain ones that are in the in crowd, those who have been around and, and those who give the most. Well, why you would even know that? Those are the important ones that you need to keep happy. Versus keeping God happy. Those are the churches using the worldly model of the customer as king versus Jesus is king of the church. Those are the ones who have settled on being a cruise ship in their fellowship instead of a battleship. 
You know, God says it so plainly. Even in this verse, this is all it says, this verse, for God does not show favoritism. It's not the only place he says it. In Romans 2.11, there's many others. The word favoritism that's used here has to do with receiving a face. Uh, in other words, it's by external appearances. I don't know, many of us would say here at OCCA, we don't judge someone by their appearances. But what do you think about how the pastor is dressed today? And judge that, any of you, you know, this is the way every other Sunday. By the way, if you're new here, right, you know, this is not how I dress every Sunday. Uh, but can you imagine somebody joining us online for the first time? You know, it's online, and here's this guy in a suit giving an announcement. It's like, whoa, give me that old-time religion. I, I don't want any part of this. Unless the pastor changes his clothes, I'm changing the channel. I'm looking for a church with a pastor that wears those jeans with the holes in them, you know, and a T-shirt, you know, maybe even those skinny jeans. That ain't happening. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of the reasons it's not happening. Listen. You know, we make judgments. There's some that, like, this is what it's got to be. This is the way pastors always should be dressed. You know, long ago, their pastors would mow their lawn in suit and tie. Well, I know a guy. Well, he's not around anymore, but many of us would probably say it really doesn't matter what you wear, other than what the Bible talks about modesty. It really doesn't matter. But does it change our perception of someone? Even if you think about the pastor and what they're wearing, does it make you more open or closed to what's being said or what's going to be said? How someone dresses, the car they drive, where they live, what kind of house, what kind of neighborhood, if the job they have, if they have a job, whether their life's together or a mess, does all of that matter? There are even those who would say, I, I, I want to help the poor out of love. I want to help uh, those who are poor and yet still have an attitude that judges, that has a preference in this, that it's certain opinions that are already made about those who are poor. Because we don't understand. Because we haven't had to walk in those shoes. We haven't had to walk in shoes that have had no real support. We haven't been beaten down so many times again and again over decades, even over uh, different generations over the years to where a sense of such helplessness comes over us that there is no hope. There is a hopelessness that we cannot grasp of why and where somebody is coming from. They just feel like they're stuck in this hole, so to speak, and cannot and will not ever get out. Now, please understand, as we're talking about showing love, that doesn't mean love with mercy always throws money or or food down in the hole. So that we can feel better about ourselves and that just helps them for just a little bit. But rather a mercy that says, I'm going to get down in the hole there and help them to get out and know how to get out of this hole. There are times where mercy doesn't give a handout, it gives a hand up. And there's a difference. Ironically, what James has to say here about the rich and the poor for many, is not the correct conservative message. In fact, if we listen to it like we're listening to the news nowadays, 
or reading our Facebook, we would say what James has to say sounds very liberal. Look at verses 5 to 7 in James 2. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promises those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, please understand, it's not everyone who is rich is like that. It's it's some have been blessed. Some have worked hard. It's not all that is there. It's not a sin to have money, to be rich, depending on how that came about. But just because you're poor doesn't make you righteous. Just because you're rich doesn't make you evil. It also needs to understand that just because of this and the feelings we may have regarding this along these lines doesn't mean that therefore we should show reverse prejudice, reverse discrimination, reverse preference to those who have versus those who do not have. We need to stop the judging that is a preference towards certain people. And the next point is that we need to stop the judging that has a prejudice a prejudice towards certain people. Not just a preference, but a prejudice. Now, here's the thing many of you may not realize. When I was giving out candy, it actually had nothing to do with or you did said something nice to me or did something or whether you like the Steelers. Not anything to do with that. I know you're probably feeling better about that. It had to do with those who had blue on, on the top here, the shirt. Or at least my concept of what blue was, the way I said, was was blue. And my my idea, the Steelers, I can't help it. Uh, you know, it, it basically had to do with, with, I mean, think about that. Does that sound fair? Like some of you kids who didn't get, one of you got and some of you didn't. Does that sound, wait a minute, I got blue jeans. No, that doesn't count. Well, wait a minute. I said, so my concept of what blue would be, that's what you got. That's not fair. It doesn't make any sense that just because of color of what's happening, you know what? That's what's going on here. Verse 4. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Because of things that really... They don't have necessarily control over or even thinking about. We've just discriminated, treating people differently because they're different. In some way, we're making a distinction. There is a distinction. We make that between us, and ultimately, it's not thinking someone is better only, but that we become critical or disapproving that someone is less. As in verse 4, it says that you have become judges with evil thoughts that makes us think that, well, we just got bad thoughts sometimes about people. That's not really what it is because the word there it deals with not just a thought that comes and goes, but a thinking that you continue to have, a thinking that is evil, that is wrong, that is bad, a thinking that has judgment without mercy as we think about people. This judging before knowing them, before knowing the whole truth, judging them before God does, is wrong. In fact, God in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, in, in a similar kind of way, uh, uh, vain here, says in verse 5 in 1 Corinthians 4, 
Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. How we're doing is prejudging someone. And when you think about that, to prejudge is to have prejudice. In fact, that's where we get that word from the Latin, pre and judge, prejudice. Now, we like to think of it and make our own definitions, and this is what it is, and I'm not that, but prejudging someone, having uh, an opinion, not really knowing, having an unfavorable opinion, thinking negatively, thinking of someone that just doesn't measure up, at least in your eyes or your way. They haven't quite arrived yet. And it's not just a rich or poor issue. There are plenty of other ways that we make a distinction. Becoming a judge without really knowing the whole truth. Going to the point where we get to verse 6. But you have insulted the poor. Other versions say you've dishonored. You disrespect, you degrade, you insult, you put down. Uh, that Not just that person, but even those people, those types of people, those groups of people, if you will. Those people who are made in the image of God. And whether or not that thinking shows itself outwardly and it's just in our heart or in our mind does not matter because God does not look on the outside. What he does look in the inside. He looks at our heart and he sees that, that thinking. It is likely that every one of us here has some prejudice in some way, some preconceived opinions about certain people or certain types of people Uh, not that we would have to dislike them or hate them, but we're not thinking of them as God does. We're not seeing them through His eyes. We're seeing them through our eyes. We're seeing them through uh, a media's eyes. We're seeing them through a a correct eyes that that we've been told this is the way, but we're not seeing them through God's eyes. It often comes down to how much they are different from us. Not just what they look like, not just physically or their size, but judging on other external things, the color of the hair, the body piercings, etc. Their mannerisms, the way they talk or what they talk about. For some who have disabilities or challenges, physical or mental, handicapped in some way, but even beyond that, what about those who have mental health issues? That even nowadays, there's not a freedom that they feel like they should to even tell or to express that within a church. It's okay to say I've got diabetes. We don't talk about this because we're concerned that someone's going to prejudge me. Someone's going to have a prejudice. The way we think about people. We end up treating people like it's some kid's activity book. You know? Hey, which one of these is not like the other? You know, which one? Because the same all go together and the one that's not like the other, we know. And yet the reality is that by the very definition of what the church is, that God has put together, the very definition it should be, these are those who are not like the others. All, nobody is like one another in that sense, but all are the same in Christ. When we think through this, in fact, he says in Galatians 3.28, not the only place, 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It may not have to do with the color of our clothes. It may have to do with the color of our hair or the color of our skin. Or maybe it's not that our skin color shows, but the ethnicity of where you're from, that certain opinions are already formed and already made. And yet Jesus was found talking with the Samaritan woman. Oh, man, he would definitely be out today. Or Peter, who went to Cornelius, the Gentile's house, and not just went to the house, ate with him. Oh, oh. In Acts chapter 10, Peter says, I know that now that God shows no favoritism. All are welcome. Today, do we judge all those that, I mean, think about things that are going on. Do we judge all those who are, who are upset about some of the things going on that are protesting? Do we judge all of them as radical anarchists? All of them are, if they're not anarchists, they're criminals. All this stuff that's happening nowadays, which really has been happening for a while. I mean, you go back to 2014, look at what happened. Missouri, look at what happened back then. Same things, same words, same things used, and somehow we're acting like, oh, this is something. Do we make those judgments? Any more than someone would judge that every white Anglo-Saxon Protestant is just a closet KKK member. I say, that's not right. Is it right to say that everyone who says black lives matter is fully on board with the Marxist counter-Christian organization by that name? Have we already made our minds up and put people in a box about things like this or things that we're upset about, things that we have opinions about? Have we already prejudged? You know, we don't like it when the world puts Christians all in the same boat with this one guy who is just a jerk, wholly unchristian, but that's the way all of them are. No, it's not. I'm not even talking about racism here because for us to have that conversation, we don't understand that the, the, the kind of uh, arguments and yelling back and forth aren't even about the same definition. They're not even using the same word. So we're arguing, trying to get our point across when we're using completely different definitions of what that is. Instead, how about we just get to the root, get to the heart of the issue, which is a heart issue of what James is talking to us about. Thinking differently about those who are different, whether it be favoritism, discrimination, thinking differently, putting down, putting aside, having an attitude towards someone that does not honor the person the same way that God does. That misses what yet awaits us in heaven. Amazing picture of the worship that takes place, like in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and each with had a harp and were holding the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open his seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. One day, we will all be gathered together in worship of the king, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every person, all the differentness, together, not in separate places, before the throne. This different, this distinction that, that prejudges often is about, becomes even stronger in our, our soapbox issues, our personal campaigns that we have. The different thinking, it may have to do with, let's pick some like COVID-19 or, or face masks or politics anywhere along those lines, right? Who is it that we prefer to ignore? Who is it we really don't want to hear from? Who is it that we don't have much patience for? And not just necessarily a particular person, but a particular kind of person, a particular side uh, that we just don't want to deal with, don't want anything with their kind. And yet, even if they're not kind, Jesus said, love your enemies. In fact, it's been saying, he's, God's been saying that since the beginning. Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. And we know that Jesus took that definition of neighbor to a whole new level. It's everyone. We need a love where mercy triumphs over judgment. But, but that's so hard, Pastor. It's just so, I mean, you just can't. It's not really possible. It, it is possible if we're walking by faith in Christ and trusting in his power and seeing people through his eyes. It is possible if we can make the decision that we are Christians first and we will be Christians last when this earth is gone. We are Christians first and Christians last. We are not Americans or Democrats or Republicans first. Heaven is our home. God is our father. And therefore, if God is our father, that means we have brothers and sisters in Christ. Who are on the other side, if you will, on this earth. But if we are Christians first, then they are brothers and sisters in Christ first as well. How are we treating? How are we thinking? That doesn't mean that we give in, that we give up, or we condone anything. It doesn't mean we don't take responsibility like taking the responsibility in our country to vote. As Christians, it is amazing how many tens of thousands of Christians aren't even registered to vote. Let alone actually do that. But to recognize that we have an even greater responsibility to love to have a love where mercy triumphs over judgment. Which is why Christians need to get out of this current worldly kind cancel culture mode that, that singles out those who, who don't say, who don't do, or don't look the way that is decided this is the right way. It's not just what they're doing now, but maybe something that they did in the past that doesn't agree with someone's view. And then there's a vendetta that goes after them, and not just after them, but anyone who's caught associating with them. Obviously, this person's radioactive, and if you've been around them, now you're radioactive, and you're on the list. 
And without any real discussion or dialogue, the first reaction is just to cancel them. So we say cancel culture, just to cancel them, to shame, shun, to get rid of them, to silence, to unfriend them, delete them from your life. And if you, for some reason you can't delete them, then just walk away, just leave. This kind of thing is happening in media and politics and workplaces all over. There's so many examples that you can't even take time to do it. It's just even this week, so many different examples. And yet mercy does not automatically delete different and difficult people from our life. Mercy means we do not automatically delete different and difficult people. In fact, Romans 12, verse 18 says, As far as it is possible with you, live at peace with all. The real issue really isn't what's being done to Christians in regard to those who would think like, we would say would think like us. What's the real issue is, is Christians who are doing this cancel culture, who are joining in, that are hungering down in their bunkers and shooting everything that moves on the other side of whatever their issue is, whatever their thing is. We're no different from the world. Like the Christians who are, are calling to cancel Franklin Graham. When I say cancel him, to, to kick him out of the Samaritan's Purse as a leader, he should be out of there. I'm not sure about what was said about Billy Graham Association, but all because he went to the White House with the current president and because he prayed with and for that president in the same way his father did so many times. Agree or disagree with Franklin Graham? Once again, it is judgment without mercy. I know there are those who think, yeah, amen, that's right, Pastor. That's just not right. And yet, you know what? If Franklin Graham would have said, I'm not going to the White House. I'm not going to pray for that president. There'd be Christians on the other side saying, well, I can't believe he did that. He's just giving in to the politically correct stuff he's given in the pressure he should not he should have enough guts to do you know and we need to get rid of him let's get somebody else it's the same thing it doesn't matter we're all participating in the cancel culture just get rid of be done with them mercy with judgment no we don't do that And what's sad is it's not just about Christians doing this to other Christians as it deals with things that are going on in the world right now. It's Christians doing this to other Christians about things that are in the church, about things that are are dealing with preferences or dealing with personal convictions or, or things that we've already preconceived. This is what's wrong without really knowing. Quick to judgment, quick to a judgment without mercy while at the same time walking away after that judgment with a pride saying, somebody had to do it. I did it. I did the right thing. Did you? You see, when we're looking at people through the eyes of Jesus, which should be, you know, we talked about as our theme, and we're doing these kind of things, we're breaking the law of love that's talked about here in verse 8. When we judge, when we're critical, when we're fault-finding, we're discriminating, we're showing preference or favoritism, not just in our actions or words, but in our attitude and our thinking. When we're not honoring. When we're involved in a prejudging. We need to be aware that there is a post-judging coming upon those who have shown judgment without mercy. 
especially those who know mercy, who have experienced the great and enormous mercy of God in their own lives, and yet for some reason grace and mercy is out the window for certain people. We need to watch out. I mean, a lot of us like to think, well, you know, this is not a big deal. I mean, yeah, it's preached, it's there, I know, but there are bigger sins. I mean, for the most part, I, I'm good as a Christian. I got things that are going good. I've, I'm following the word, I'm reading the word, I'm doing all this stuff. I mean, this is one area, and I don't actually say anything or do anything. I think it, but, I don't, but it's okay. Is it okay? Is it okay based on what he says here in verse 9 to 12? Look at verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. You break it all. It's not like it somehow, you know, we kind of get a pass depending on how many, you know, that we kind of, we, we poke holes by what we do in the law and, you know, and eventually it just gets bad and God has to do something. No, it's all just a pane of glass. All it takes is one and it's all broken. But fortunately for us, there's mercy and grace that God gives to us. But are we holding that back from others? And not following the royal law of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who summarized it all in the great two, the two great commandments to love God with all and to love our neighbor as ourselves. As we look at and get ready to have communion, ask the uh, worship team to come. As we get ready for communion, we should see in these elements here mercy and grace. By the way, if you didn't get a chance to grab the communion elements, I encourage you, you can just hop out of your seat and go over and get those if that's something. But this is what this is all about. It should just be not just God's love, but we should be overwhelmed with his mercy that he has shown to us in this. Father, we pray in this moment that you would remind us, remind us of things that we sang earlier. So many of those songs of what you've done for us, the mercy and the grace. We ask your blessing upon this bread that we're about to partake of. A symbol, not only of what you did, but of your love. Thank you. That you willingly went to the cross, that your body was broken for us, for us who were your enemies, even at that time. For us who had nothing to deserve, be deserving of any of this. If you would take your bread out, 
On that night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat.